today and in our second week of a generous life and aren't you thankful for the generosity of people with their gifts I like the team that that sings and plays each week and uh, Zach thank you great job man and your sister Mariah sings often she was singing for us last week and just really grateful uh, for all of the talent that the Lord's given us would you agree yeah amen Well, today we're in the second week of a series called A Generous Life, and that's exactly what we're talking about, is learning. uh, It's this journey toward a generous life with all of my time, with all of my talent, with all of my treasure. And why? Because, well, where we spend those things, it reveals where our heart is. It reveals what we're most devoted to. And last week we unpacked 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 6 through 8, which Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give then as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And as we unpacked that, we saw a few things together just as way of review. Number one, uh, remember, as we're talking about these things, it's easy for us to get all bunched up and a little bit anxious and angry uh, because the reality is where our stuff is reveals our heart. But the thing is, Jesus doesn't want your stuff. He wants your heart. So if you're feeling that, then maybe it's just a matter of I need to repent of some things so that he has my heart. Know that. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your stuff. He knows how we work, though, so he goes after those things because he wants our heart. And I don't know about you, but I have a long ways to go in growing to be generous. I don't know about you, but I would never say I've arrived. Like, I I, I know how to give. I don't need to study this. And maybe you're way ahead of me, which is great if you are. Um, But I've got a long ways to go. So I'm excited to continue learning and continue on this journey. And the second thing we talked about, though, is simply the fact that um, the the, the verse says in verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. So if you don't want to give, uh, whether it's to the the 30 for 30 project that's coming or to uh, even just to the church in general, you know what? That's a risky thing for me to say, but don't give. (laughs) Because God wants you to give cheerfully. So if you feel like you're, you're being manipulated to or compelled to it, why don't you pray about it, let the Holy Spirit guide you, and know for me there's no pressure. Amen? So today we continue this journey toward a generous life. And today what we start to do is we're going to start looking at examples uh, in the Bible of people who uh, were on different places in the journey toward being generous. Different levels of generosity. And we're going to unpack it in this way. We're going to look at it. We've kind of divided it into five categories. And the first is what we're going to call the beginning giver. The beginning giver is just, like, is just that. They're just beginning to give. And the, the beginning giver, you, you'd say, I'm beginning my giving journey. And we're going to see Zacchaeus in this role this morning. Well, if you've started to give and you're like, I want to take another step in obedience, then maybe you would become a consistent giver consistently giving. And there's, there's always, we could define this, but just for a matter of practicality, we said, okay, so for a consistent giver, we're going to say a consistent giver is, is someone, if I'm a consistent giver, I'm growing to give regularly at least once a month. Now we could, we could categorize that as once a week. We could categorize it as once a year. We're just saying, we're going to say once a month as a way to, there's not, it's not like in the Bible somewhere. It's just, that's a category we're using. That makes sense? So consistent is once a month. And then after that, I think the next step beyond that is a tithing giver. 
We'll talk about this next week when we see Abraham. And a tithing giver gives consistently, but they give a consistent portion of their income to the Lord, their first fruits, 10% of my income. Do you know that was just one of of two or three tithes that people gave in the Old Testament? 10% was the starting point of a tithing giver. And then if I want to move beyond my tithe, though, and I, I really want to dive into this, and God really has my heart, again, if you want to, He has your heart. Then I'm going to move into becoming an expanding giver. We'll talk about this in a couple weeks. An expanding giver. I'm giving beyond my tithe to the vision of my church and to needs that I encounter. So it's not just my regular tithe. I'm going to give above and beyond that. I'm I'm going to become an expanding giver and see the Lord expand my heart. And then finally, the last category that we'll see is an extravagant giver in a few weeks. And the extravagant giver is living a radically generous life with all of their resources. Notice it doesn't say all of their money. It says all of their resources, their time, their talent, their treasure. That's an extravagant giver. And this morning what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at the path from uh, moving from becoming a beginning giver to a consistent giver. We're just going to take it one step at a time each week, okay? Okay. And then you'll follow this up in your 110 group. And uh, we'll even, we'll build off of some of the things this morning that you studied in your 110 group this week. And uh, so hopefully you're involved in one. And, but with that, let me pray. And then we'll dive in together. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks that, uh, Lord, you so loved the world that you gave your son. You were generous to us. And Jesus, that you are generous to me in your grace and in your mercy that every good thing I have is a gift from you. Every possession, every talent, all of my time, my health, it's all a gift for me to steward. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that as we study these things, you challenge our hearts, that uh, we wouldn't leave uh, feeling angry with you, but instead challenged by you to to grow in our generosity. Jesus, you you don't want our stuff, you want us, you want our hearts. And so I pray for each of us this morning that we would open our hearts to what your word would tell us and that we would grow to be generous like you, Jesus, are generous. I pray against the enemy who loves to take topics like this and uh, divide us and cause uh, frustration or uh, disunity. Instead, Jesus, keep our eyes on you. We love you. Thanks that you loved us first. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, are you ready? You ready? We're going to start working through these five levels of giving, these five steps. And so each of these next steps, the challenge for you, I don't know where you're at. I have no idea. Maybe the challenge for you is to become a giver, beginning giving. Maybe it's to take this next step and to keep moving forward. But if you're ready, we'll be redneck this morning. If you're ready, say get. Oh, come on, redneck. Get. There we go. All right. So the beginning giver, here's who we're going to look at. We're going to look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is our beginning giver. And here's what I want you to see, a few things about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was really fast to respond to God with generosity after he became a Christian. His faith did not wait. He didn't wait and go, I'm going to wait and see about this. Uh, He he started giving generously right away. See, when when, when Jesus got Zacchaeus' heart, uh, Zacchaeus went from this to this. He just, he just did. It just, that's what happens. When Jesus has your heart, you move from going like this with my stuff to just like this. And that's what happens with Zacchaeus. And you need to know, too, as we study him, the amount that he gives and the amount maybe that you're giving or that the Lord might be challenging you to give. Uh, it's not important, the amount. The, 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 the important thing is your response. Are you willing to, to start that journey of letting go and letting Jesus have your heart? So before we read about Zacchaeus, though, I want to set this passage up for you because I think it's really important. You know, in the Gospels, have you ever read, you ever read the Gospels and like you're reading Matthew and you read a few stories and then maybe you skip over to Luke and you read some stories and you're like, hold on, Matthew had these two in a different order than Luke did. Why did he do that? And then I go read Mark and Mark's got it in another order. Huh? How does that work? You ever wondered that? 
I know when I became a Christian and I started reading God's word, that was a struggle for me to figure out, well, if this is supposed to be God's word and true, why is it in different orders? He, he couldn't figure that out? You ever wonder that? Well, here's the reason. You've got to recognize that the Gospels are ancient biography. Now, modern biographies, if I was going to read a biography of Winston Churchill... Uh, what would that biography probably do? It would probably start with uh, his birth and it would go through his life chronologically or a portion of his life chronologically until the end of the book. It it's, it's develops chronologically, right? Well, the Gospels, ancient biography, doesn't develop chronologically. It would include a person's birth. It would include a lot about their death because the way a person dies reveals a lot about them, was their thinking. But then the way it was arranged was thematically. The author had something they wanted to communicate to you about that person. They weren't so concerned with you knowing all the details from, you know, in 1983 this, and in 1992 this, and in 1997 this. They wanted you to know something about that person. And so they would arrange things thematically. And if it happened out of order in real life, they didn't really care. And that's what Luke does here in his gospel. He's writing thematically an ancient biography. Now, why do I go down that rabbit trail? Because it's important to understand how Luke sets up this passage about Zacchaeus. Because Luke is the only one who tells us about Zacchaeus. No one else does. So we should pay attention to how he presents him. So look with me in Luke chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 15. And it says this. Now they were bringing even infants to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and he said, uh, excuse me, he said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. We talked about this during our series on prayer last fall, didn't we? That that God desires a childlike faith. Jesus says, if you can't enter the kingdom like a child, um, you're going to have a hard time entering. What does that mean? Well, it it tells me that there's a childlike faith and there's an unchildlike faith. And a childlike faith, and this is important going forward for when we get to Zacchaeus. A childlike faith uh, is marked by simplicity. Would you agree? You ever see your kid's faith? Like it's just a simple trust. Like, oh yeah, I believe that. Oh yeah, that's not a problem. That, what, what contradiction, huh? I, no, no sweat. Yeah, I got that. Oh, I, I'm going to pray to Jesus for, you, you name the biggest, most audacious thing and no problem. He's got it, right? Childlike faith, simple trust, simple belief, big asking. But then the opposite, an unchildlike faith, I would say is marked not by simplicity, but complexity. An unchildlike faith is marked by complexity. You know, you might hear like this, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they're really saved. They don't understand all five points of Calvinism. I'm not sure Calvin believed all five points of Calvinism. Uh, I, I, I don't know that gospel presentation. It's lacking something. It's a little watered down. Uh, we, we get complex. Uh, it's not the real, you know, we, we make things too complex. Now, is good doctrine important? Yeah, because if you don't believe the right things, that's trouble. But understanding the implications for believing Jesus, that's important. But if you don't come to him with a childlike faith, then who cares if you got everything right and in order? You you can have all the right doctrine and, and love your doctrine, but if you don't love Jesus, that's bad news. You can spend your lifetime in the church, going to church, Uh, You can be uh, born in the church, baptized in the church, go to Sunday school in the church, grow up in the church, get married in the church, serve in the church, become a pastor in the church, and die in the church, have your funeral in the church. But if you're not in Christ, if you haven't come to Jesus with a childlike faith, you'll spend eternity in hell. A childlike faith is so important. A simple trust. Well, immediately after this, I told you Luke is developing a theme. Immediately after this, guess who comes up? A guy without a childlike faith. You might know him as the rich young ruler. Let's see if you can tell this theme that Luke is developing. Like the good full-grown adult he was, he was very concerned about checking off all the right boxes. He was, his faith was very complex. 
A ruler came to Jesus and asked him, he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him, he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. It's curious now when we hear about this ruler, I think he thought he was good. (laughs) And maybe that's part of the reason Jesus tells him this. Uh, You know the commandments, Jesus said. Don't commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You know all this. You know the Ten Commandments. Come on. What do you mean? What does it take? How would you reply if Jesus said that to you? See if you would reply like this guy does. He goes, uh, he said to Jesus, he says, oh, all these I've kept from my youth. I got those, no problem. Really? Really? Man, I I don't know about you, but like the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. I fail at that one because I love stuff sometimes more than I love the Lord. I love people sometimes and I value their opinion more than I value the Lord. I fail right away on number one. Forget the rest of the ten. This guy's got them all down, evidently. He's in for a big rebuke, isn't he? Notice Jesus looks at his heart. In Mark's account, you read this in your 110 group this week and studied it. Um, Mark said uh, that Jesus looked at him with love. And he said, uh, when he heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, though. In other words, you've checked off all the boxes, all the complexity. It's there. You got it. But you're missing one thing. Sell everything you have and distribute it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. When Jesus uh, challenges him, the guy becomes very sad because of his wealth. And really, I think what's happening is Jesus is challenging his complexity, all of his... uh, good deeds, all of his maybe good doctrine, whatever it is, and he's saying, okay, but you're lacking one thing. You're inconsistent here. If you're going to go down that road, you better do it all. If you're going to accomplish it, you have to do all of it. So sell it all. Do you know this is the only person Jesus ever tells this to? It's the only person that he says, sell everything and follow me. Give it all up and follow me. Um. Jesus reveals one big box left unchecked and it reveals his heart. If only he had faith like a child. A simple faith that wasn't concerned. Not, listen, not that all those good deeds aren't important. They are. Hear me. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying your first love is more important. And when you love Jesus first with a childlike faith, all those things start to come in line after that. You don't do those things to get Jesus to love you or you do it as a response to what he's already done in you, Right? That's what grace is. If only he had faith like a child. Look at verse 24. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, he said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. You ever tried that? That sounds almost impossible, doesn't it? That's that's probably impossible. Than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? See, wealth in this day was seen as a, a symbol of God's blessing on you. So if you had wealth, then, then clearly you were doing something right, and the Lord loved you, he was blessing you. So if, if this guy who's doing something right and has wealth, I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case, I'm just saying that's how they saw it. So if, if they see that with this guy, then they're going, well, if, if, if he can't be saved, who can? And you know what occurred to me this week? He's not only wealthy in his possessions, this guy was wealthy in good deeds. He he checked off every box. You notice Jesus never rebuked him when he said, uh, oh, I got the Ten Commandments down, no problem. That tells me he was probably a pretty moral man, a pretty good guy. He was wealthy in good deeds. But guess what? Our wealth, whether it's material or our wealth in knowledge, Or our wealth in good deeds? Here's how Paul describes it. He says, I count all of that as rubbish. Literally, if I would translate the Greek literally to you, it would be more like a steaming pile compared to what Jesus has done for me on the cross. That's the harshness with the words that he actually uses in the Greek. He's like, "It's, it's just a pile, man. All those good deeds apart from knowing Christ. Luke is showing us here, here's a guy without a childlike faith. 
The, the passage goes on. Peter says, see, we've left our homes. We followed you. And, and Jesus says to them, he goes, truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. It's an encouraging verse to me. Well, let's remember this rich young ruler when we get to Zacchaeus. So we've seen Jesus say, you need to have faith like a child. Then Luke shows us a guy without the faith of a child. And then the next person we see in the, in the narrative is a guy, Mark tells us his name is Bartimaeus. He's a blind beggar. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by, sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing the crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. Can you imagine the guy sitting there on the way to Jericho, and he, he's blind, he can't see, but he hears everybody. He's like, what's going on? What's happening? Somebody tell me, please. And they told him, they said, well, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Hmm. Sounds like he's heard of Jesus based on his response. Look at it. He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This blind man sitting alongside the road. And those who were in front rebuked him. Dude, be quiet. Be silent. Quiet. But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and he commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, he said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, I imagine with a smile, recover your sight, your faith has made you well. Immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Now this guy's persistent, isn't he? Does that remind you of any, uh, any people that come up to you about your waist and they just keep asking for the same thing over and over? It's very childlike, isn't it? He's persistent in calling out to the Lord. Have mercy on me. Be quiet. Have mercy on me. It's a childlike faith. Calling out persistently. Now, we're finally up to Zacchaeus, so let's keep reading. And as you do, what I want you to see is that a generous life begins with a childlike faith. A journey towards a generous life begins with childlike faith. So let's keep reading here. In in verse 1 of chapter 19, he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. Luke is telling us Jesus was, he was just on his way through town. He had somewhere else to get to. There wasn't really any, maybe, uh, big plans anybody knew of to stop. And so humanly speaking, then, the encounter we're about to see is, is a somewhat random one. And Luke tells us, behold, in other words, pay attention, check this out. There was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. Luke just told us about another man who was rich, right? And how did he respond to the gospel? He said, uh, no, I can't, I can't. Let's see how this rich man responds. Now, you got to understand a tax collector in that day, if you don't know, I've, I've, I've shared some of this with you before, but they worked for the Roman government. And they would be contracted by the Roman government to receive the taxes of the people. And when Rome would go in and they'd conquer a land, so like uh, Israel, like Judea, and, and they would conquer this land, generally speaking, what they would do is they would recruit somebody from that culture to become a tax collector for them. Why? Well, because that person knew the people, he knew the area, and they would offer him um, an interesting incentive to work for them. Do you know what it was? Uh, it was, uh, here's what you're contracted to get. So in this area, it's about this wealthy. So we need X number of dollars. But whatever you collect beyond that is yours to keep. So Zacchaeus would go and he would collect whatever was, and who, any tax collector, whatever they were supposed to collect, whatever Rome said, here's what we need. But often they got a bad reputation because not only would they collect what was needed, they would collect more and fill their pockets. And they would just, you know, oh, well, if, I, if I can get $10 out of him, maybe I can get 20 you know, and he's like, oh, sorry, that's what Rome wants, $20. And, and they became very wealthy, very wealthy. And the Jewish people looked at tax collectors as traitors. Why? Because the Roman government would come in, choose somebody from that culture, a Jewish person, to become a tax collector. They've turned their back on all the Jewish people, and they've taken on with Rome. Traitor. And they're ripping us off. It, it was that's a swear word to be called a tax collector. It's bad news. 
Well, Zacchaeus isn't just a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. This term is used nowhere else in the New Testament. In other words, he's in charge of other tax collectors. He was rich. He was rich. It's important to note here, Luke is telling us, um, Zacchaeus was very wealthy and he had some clout. He was influential. He's not just some random guy, right? So let's keep reading. Uh, By the way, Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, he was a tax collector. Did you know that? His name was Levi before it became Matthew. He, He wasn't a chief tax collector. He was well off. But Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, was rich, Luke tells us. Let's work with verse 3. And he, Zacchaeus, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. wonder why. wonder why he had heard about Jesus. Well, do you remember Matthew when he becomes a follower of Jesus? He was a tax collector. And it's in Matthew chapter 9. You can read about it this week. But do you remember what he does right away after becoming a Christian? He invites all of his tax collector buddies over to his house. And they all hang out and eat with Jesus. And it makes me wonder, I I don't know, I'm totally speculating here, but did any of the tax collectors that Zacchaeus oversaw go to Matthew's house that day and hear about Jesus? Did Zacchaeus go? I don't know. And and then they come back and maybe Zacchaeus is hearing them talk about this Jesus or maybe it was just the fact that Bartimaeus, who, who has been blind forever outside of town, I just saw him running through leaping and saying, Jesus healed him. I gotta see who this guy is. Who is this guy? But look at this, look at verse three. But on account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was small in stature. Remember the song? Zacchaeus, musically, it's the worst song ever. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Climbed up in, you'll see the next part. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. So he ran ahead, verse four, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. So let's think of the story through. Here's Zacchaeus, very wealthy. Uh, He's a chief tax collector. He's very influential. He hears about Jesus coming. Jericho's a small town. You would think an influential man in a small town could get a hearing with somebody walking through town, wouldn't you? Why in the world does he run ahead and climb a tree? Okay, let me ask it this way. Who do you know in your life that climbs trees a lot? Generally speaking, children. You know what I think is happening here? I think Luke is giving us an example of a childlike faith. A childlike faith. And even to the rich young ruler after that, the, the, you know, Jesus said, hey, they said it's impossible. Who can be saved? He said, uh, well, with God all things are possible. And now we get an example of it. Um, so he runs up, he climbs the tree. I, I kind of think the song ought to maybe, instead of a wee little man, Zacchaeus was a rich little dude. <laughs> but influential was he. <laughs> and he couldn't see, and he runs and he climbs a tree like a little boy. Um, you know, it just made me think, did you watch the inauguration last week? Did you watch any of it? On Friday, at the end of the, the whole day of the inauguration, um, there was a parade. I remember sitting, we had it on in the background on TV, and you're watching the parade come. And at one point, uh, President Trump and Vice President Pence get out of the limo, and they're walking down the street, and they're shaking hands and seeing everybody. And I'd been studying this passage already at that point, and I thought, Zacchaeus running ahead, climbing a tree to see Jesus would be like if John McCain, who's also a short man, Um, and has power and influence, decided during the inaugural parade, I can't see the president, I can't get a hearing with him, I'm going to climb a tree and wave to him. Seriously. That's Zacchaeus. He's like a child. Well, Zacchaeus so wanted to see Jesus that he runs ahead, he climbs a tree and he waits for him just to get a look. You know, when I saw it this week too, I'm just going to go on a couple rabbit trails here, but it just reminded me of of a childlike faith and thinking, um, talking with Hannah a lot about this this week, but ever since Charlie came along, and then I look at examples like Zacchaeus and others in the Bible who who never really grow old. (laughs) They, uh, They grow old in terms of numbers, 
but they don't become old. Do you know what I mean by that? They still have a childlike faith. I said, you know what? I want to I live to be 100. I really do. And I have since I was a little kid. I don't know if I ever will, but probably not. Based on my genetics, there's probably zero chance of that. But if I live to be 100, I hope I'm still childlike. I hope I never get old. I hope I grow old, but never become old. That I still approach the Lord and approach my faith with a childlike faith. And it's a reminder to me that as I grow older, it's my responsibility to demonstrate to the generation before me what it looks like to grow older with a childlike faith. To be encouragers of them to come along and not critics of them. But to say, go for it, serve the Lord, chase him. Zacchaeus was this type of guy, I believe. He's seeking to see who Jesus was, verse 3 says. To seek and to see was used of Luke to refer often to wanting to know. And it was equated with faith multiple times. This verb, zeteo, to find, to seek, to search for. It's this quest for truth. Multiple times, Luke five eighteen, Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. They were looking for Jesus. Uh, in, in chapter 11, Uh, Jesus said, search and you will find for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. Instead, Luke 12, seek his kingdom. It's a theme of Luke's. Uh, Chapter 13, strive to enter through the narrow narrow door. I can't talk. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter but will not be able. Chapter 15, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, doesn't light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And on and on and on. Look at verse five. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I must stay at your house today. Think Zacchaeus, like a little boy, runs ahead, climbs a tree because he wants to see Jesus. He's seeking Jesus to know him. But who finds who? Jesus sees him. If you're seeking today, you need to know that there's a Lord who loves you, who sees you, and is searching for you. If you would turn from your sin and repent and trust him, maybe today you're the one up in the tree looking. You'd turn to him in faith. So look what Zacchaeus does after he's found. He hurried and he came down and received Jesus joyfully, received him joyfully. I wonder what was happening in that moment in Zacchaeus' heart. Jesus knew him. He just wanted to see Jesus, get to know him. It's like, he already knows me. He, he was coming to my house, what? I think we see in here, here in verse six, Zacchaeus' true moment of faith. He had clearly heard of Jesus at this point, but why, I mean, why else would he climb a tree to see him? But he's the one found and he hurries down. See, true, look at his joy too. True faith results in great joy. Great joy. I pray for our church often that that the Holy Spirit would give us joy. Give me joy. As I read different uh, people about this this week, Spurgeon said in one of his sermons, I thought this was really good, there was no delay in Zacchaeus' heart. I dare say his heart was down before his feet. Some of you, Jesus is calling to you today. Don't delay. Don't delay. Let's look at everybody else's response when Zacchaeus comes down. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a, sin, of a man who's a sinner. The worst of all, the tax collectors. Uh, the they is a group of people without childlike faith. They grumble. Oh, what should they have been doing? They should have said, all right, Zacchaeus, woo! They should have been encouraging him on challenging him, go forward, follow the Lord. Yes. But instead, what do they do? (sighs) Sounds like a lack of a childlike faith, doesn't it? I wonder if any of them felt guilty after what happens next. Verse eight, and Zacchaeus stood. So this is probably after or at his house, they eat. He stands up. That's why I believe it was after they ate. They would have eaten uh, reclining. So he stands up and he says to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. 
That's repentance, isn't it? He res- he's wealthy. He responds, he says, half of what I give, I give to the poor. Now, we just read in chapter 18, Luke, or Luke told us that Jesus said to the rich young ruler to give up how much? All of it. Uh-oh. Zacchaeus is in for a lashing here, isn't he? Zacchaeus, that's a good start, but you should probably give it all up, right? That's what he's going to say, isn't it? Hmm. The Lord wasn't after his stuff. He's after his heart, and he has Zacchaeus' heart. And, and, and his, his faith results in quick obedience and quick generosity. He's a beginning giver because that's exactly what he is. He's a new Christian. Now, what's curious is that Zacchaeus, as a tax collector, I told you, they would have picked Jewish people. He's probably Jewish already. And I think that's confirmed in the next verse by Jesus' response to him. So chances are Zacchaeus was already giving dutifully to the synagogue in his town. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just, that's speculation, but I think it's probably true. But now the Lord has his heart and it's generous. It's not duty. It's, I want to. Willingly, joyfully, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Let's keep going here. Look at verse 9. Jesus says to him, Today salvation has come to this house. He doesn't say, "Um, Zacchaeus, you need to give more. That's not enough. He says, Clearly, I have your heart. Today salvation has come to this house. He, He was okay with him only giving half of what he had gotten through illicit gain. Because now Jesus had his heart. He wants his heart. Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus was a scoundrel, a rich tax collector. And not just any tax collector, the chief one. That put him near the top of any sin list. And Luke places the story of Zacchaeus in the chapter right after the one about the rich young ruler. That's not an accident. There's contrast, and they're important. Jesus shocked everybody by inviting himself to Zacchaeus' house. And when he arrives, Zacchaeus stands up and promises to give half of all his ill-gotten possessions to the poor and pay back people he had cheated with a 400% return. And Jesus was good with that. He didn't say, what about the other half? He didn't say, sorry, it's all or nothing. He said, today salvation has come to this house. It's written by Larry Osborne, pastor in California. And this would have been a shocking statement to those people because, uh, number one, they wouldn't have acknowledged that a deprived tax collector could be saved. And two, they they certainly would have never, uh, or that he was part of the house of Abraham. Two, they wouldn't have ever acknowledged that somebody from the house of Abraham wasn't saved. (laughs) He's gone to church his whole life. What do you mean? He needed a childlike faith, didn't he? For the Son of Man, Jesus says, he explains more, came to seek and to save the lost. To the grumblers, the detractors, the self-righteous, to those who thought they were saved simply because they were descendants of Abraham, Jesus explained his mission that he came to seek the lost. And Luke is bookending this with, uh, let someone come to me with a childlike faith. If they don't come like a little child, they'll never enter the kingdom. A beginning step in becoming generous is a childlike faith. Recognizing, think how does a child respond to everything they have? They know it's really not theirs, don't they? They know if I need something, I don't have to go earn it. I go ask mom and dad. (laughs) Because it's not theirs. They have no ability to earn it. They have no ability to get on online and make a purchase or to, to pedal their bike to Walmart and buy something that they want. At a young age, a young child, they have no ability to do that. They know they're totally dependent on their father to provide. So a childlike faith recognizes, that's not mine. And that's how it begins. Now, if you've never given, and the Lord is, is, is tugging on your heart, and you're saying, you know what, I'm like this, and, and I need to begin to give like Zacchaeus. I want the Lord to have my heart. Here's, a, here's an easy first step for you. You ready? It's complex. If you want a great first step to become a beginning giver, start giving. $5, $10, 20 cents, 
something. Just start. Give it where? I don't care. Just start, just start giving. You can give it to the church. You can give it to somebody you know on your street who needs something. You can give it to your little brother. You, I don't care. Just start giving. Start letting go. Just start somewhere. Is that easy enough? Well, we're not going to take as much time on the next one because all these build on each other. But next we're going if to, you, if you're ready, we're going to move on now to, to the next step of a consistent giver. If the first step is to start giving, then the next step is to give regularly. And the next, next type of giver we see is the consistent giver. To illustrate this one, we're going to look at, at a guy by the name of Cornelius and then a group of women who follow Jesus. We're just going to look at them very briefly. Um, what we see with a consistent giver is that generosity starts to become a regular part of their life. Zacchaeus' gift was an initial response. And now we see it happening regularly in their life. And Cornelius' story is interesting because it links prayer and faith and family and work and generosity, all of it together. Look at Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A centurion is a leader in the Roman army. Uh, Specifically, you can probably guess a leader of about 100 men. That number varied sometimes, but generally 100 men. A cohort was a group of 600 men that had six centurions leading them. And sometimes that was even up to 1,000 men in a cohort. Ten cohorts made a legion, if you really want to get into your uh, Roman army knowledge. There you go. So Cornelius is a leader, much like Zacchaeus. And he's working for the Roman government, much like Zacchaeus. And uh, centurions were paid very well, often four or five times more than the average soldier. So Cornelius, also like Zacchaeus, is wealthy. Um, But unlike Zacchaeus, uh, Cornelius isn't Jewish, but we'll see that he is a follower of Jesus. Some debate whether is Cornelius saved uh, before Acts chapter 10 or after Acts chapter 10. Um, I kind of tend to think before based on how Peter responds to him, but it really doesn't matter. We're going to look at his pattern of giving. Look at this. Uh, Verse 2 of Acts chapter 10. He was a devout man who feared God with all of his household, and he gave alms generously to the people. And prayed continually to God. He was devout in his faith. He prayed continually. And it's just natural then that he gave regularly too. So there's Cornelius. We, we don't have time to go into more about him. But just want you to see he's giving regularly. There's another group of people I want you to see in Luke chapter 8. A group of women. Soon afterward, Jesus began a, began a tour of nearby towns and villages. Preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager or household manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Uh, So look at some of the ladies here who are following Jesus and starting in verse two, Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was, uh, had been possessed by seven demons and Jesus heals her. And just like uh, he had seen Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus responded in generosity, we see Mary, uh, she's healed by Jesus and she responds by supporting his ministry in generosity. Then you have uh, Joanna. Joanna, her husband uh, worked for Herod. That tells me she was probably pretty wealthy. Uh, An incredible influence there. And she's following Jesus. Susanna, what do you know about Susanna? Nothing. Just her name's mentioned. The Lord looked on favor, looked on her with favor, mentioned her name. And um, you can sing to her with a banjo maybe. And many others were contributing from their wealth to Jesus' ministry. That many others, all the, the... uh, uh, who and there, those pronouns are actually feminine. So what Luke is telling us is uh, there were these three men, women and many other women who were contributing to Jesus' ministry. Do you know how strange that would have been? Rabbis didn't have women sit under them as followers or disciples. In fact, this may be the first time it ever happened. And uh, Jesus, he's done more... Uh, to bring women along with him and to honor them and respect them 
and care for them than anyone else in history. But look, they give out of their own means, which indicates they probably had some wealth. For sure, Joanna did. And if they're going to support his ministry, which is what followers of a rabbi did, they gave regularly, weekly or monthly, out of their income to support their ministry. Um, We know they had at least some wealth to do this, and they're doing it regularly to support Jesus and his disciples in ministry. It was a common thing. And so what we see here is in Cornelius, we see someone who gives regularly uh, out of his income with his family in prayer to the poor. And then we see these women who give regularly to, uh, to Jesus' ministry and to his disciples' ministry. They were consistent givers. And you know, there's really only one difference between a beginning giver and a consistent one. It's giving regularly. So if I want to take that step from uh, being a beginning giver to becoming a consistent giver... It means that I just, I give regularly. I, I give, we, we're just defining it as, I'm growing to give at least once a month. How much? I don't know, pray about it, figure it out. Five bucks maybe. I told you last week when I was in college, I started with $10 a month to my church at home. Like, whoa, what generosity, Josh. I know, I was a poor college student with all kinds of stupid credit card debt and somebody challenged me, um, maybe you should give and see how the Lord helps you with, some of your finances. What's curious is as I did that, I was introduced to different, uh, different people and uh, one of them being uh, teaching by Dave Ramsey. And uh, after I got out of college, took Financial Peace University and went from a credit score that was um, in the low 500s when I was in college to uh, in the high seven, low 800s today. And I, I'm telling you that, you know how that started for me? was giving. I don't say that to brag about me, but of God's grace to me. It started when he got my heart. I hope maybe you take that step to learn to give. So as we're closing, I just want to give you a few maybe next steps, depending on where you're at. Are you good with that? And then you'll talk about these more in your 110 group this week. Um, so if you are a beginning giver or you want to become one, here's some here's some. Ideas. You don't have to do this. Maybe one of these would stick with you and help you. Maybe like me in college, you're, you're, gonna, you're just going to say, you know what? I will start giving. I will start. I never had before. Uh, number two, uh, maybe I'll resist spending everything I earn so that I can be better prepared to give. I'll ask Jesus to make me generous like he's generous. I'm going to ask Jesus to do some work on my heart. I'll respond to a need when I become aware of it. Something comes up and and I know there's a need there and I can't do a lot, but I can do something. I'm going to do something. Maybe one of those steps. Maybe there's another one. I challenge you. I I can speak to you telling you that changed my life when I began to give. And I still have a long ways to go. The second thing, a consistent giver. So maybe you're a consistent giver or you want to become one and you need some growth steps. Well, maybe the first one is you can think about taking a money management class this year. I mentioned just a little bit ago about Financial Peace University and how helpful that was for me. There's all kinds of other ones. Don't think that that's like the end-all, beat-all. There's stuff from Crown and other places and other people. It's just one that worked for me. It's one that we offer here at the church. And uh, in fact, we're going to be offering it again Uh, beginning at the end of February. Normally we were doing it about every 18 months and it's been almost three years since we've had it. So we're doing that again, end of February. If you're interested, I think there's info in your bulletin and you can get signed up for that. It's a nine week class. If you've already taken it, you've already bought the material, you can come take it again and you're welcome. Um, But maybe you'd lead your family to grow in being generous. You know, your kids are talking about all these things too. They're learning about Zacchaeus this morning. Don't forget to have a conversation with them. It was never, this isn't a slam on my parents, it's just reality. It was never modeled to me to know how to give growing up. That's why it took until I got to college. I know my parents gave, but I just, I never knew, other than like a dollar at VBS, that's all I brought, you know. It's like, oh, bring your offering, okay. I got it from mom and then I hand it over, which I guess is kind of biblical, right? I get it from my parents, I hand it over, I get it from Jesus, give it back. But, but help them. I'll, give, I'll get involved in a small group, in a 110 group, and understand how I can live generously. If you're not in a 110 group and you want to be, there's still opportunity. 
all of our 110 groups are studying the same curriculum for another four weeks together. And so if you want to grow in this, join us. We purchased it for the whole church to use. And we'd love for you to be a part of it with us. Uh, Number four, maybe you do this. Maybe you need a little help and you're just like, you know what? I'm going to get into my bank account and I'm going to set up a recurring gift every month. I'm not telling you you have to do that. I'm just, I'm trying to give you some ideas to help you. Yeah, yeah? All right, well, listen. As we close, there's this prayer on that bookmark in your bulletin. There's more bookmarks if you want one too as you leave. It'll be on the screen, but we'll close the next few weeks praying this together. And uh, let's do that together now. I thank God who has blessed me in all ways. Why don't you help me? Help me out. I thank God who has blessed me in all ways at all times with more than I need. Lead me to live generously, to share joyfully, and to look expectantly toward my future. Father, we do pray that from our hearts. We read it, but but it is the desire of my heart. Lord, that you would help us to recognize all the ways you're good to us as we sang and as we will sing. Um, And Jesus, that you would grow our hearts to be generous like you're generous. So I pray for those this morning, Lord. I pray for those who've uh, never crossed the line of faith and that like Zacchaeus, they've been seeking something and, and in reality, you're seeking them. And might they turn to you in saving faith today. And then for those of us who have trusted you, might you uh, grow us if we haven't ever given, um, like you did me years ago, to begin giving. And then over time to become consistent in our giving. And again, not because you want our stuff, but because you want our hearts. And it's a natural outpouring of our heart when you have it. So Lord, teach us, I pray. Grow us and uh, lead us in our 110 groups this week too as we study it together. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.